Uh, I've forgotten why Zoom says Oh, we are recording. Okay. Hello and welcome. I don't know if this is welcome back or officially a new welcome to the Bench Units podcast because like the pair of Kyrie Irving disciples we are, we have been on an extended absence for personal reasons. The personal reasons being that neither of us can get our act together. But we're back because when big news happens, i.e., James Harden getting traded and Jarrett Allen being the 15th big on the Cleveland Cavaliers bench. We've got to cover that stuff. So here we are after I don't know how long it's been. Um, well, it depends. Did that We're Back podcast actually get released? Because no, because it's the, been like uh, six months. We've got technical issues on two fronts and neither of us have the motivation to get around it because this podcast is not monetized. So if I don't would... have the ability to get around it. Is yeah. the... Well, no, we have technical issues in that we're experiencing some technical issues with uploading podcasts and that I'm technically so lazy that we haven't got this done. <laughs> yes. So we did one podcast, my laptop broke, and they said it was going to take three days and about 30 euro to fix. And it's been <laughs> six months and not quite 500 euros later. Here we are, you borrowing Anna's laptop, which you've had the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I could have done this with Anna's yeah. laptop the whole time, but I was like, it's all right. I'll get mine fixed and then it'll be grand because we like we know what we're doing and blah, 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 blah. But yeah, it was not three three days or 30 euro. It was a couple of months and 500 quid. So, human. Yeah, human. You, you can excuse us. We're going to get this uh, podcast up at some point. There has been some weird stuff with WordPress websites globally, I believe, where they've tried to clamp down on file limits being uploaded. And you have to ask permission to upload big files now. Um, so obviously we don't own the website that we upload these to, although that would be a good argument for why we should own our own website. Um, so anyway, we won't step on the red tape because I don't know if Rosie still listens to these. So anyway. Hi, Rosie. I don't know if we even asked you to sort it out in a while, but sort it out. No, we, we've sure, <laughs> we sure need to not just do this yeah right now but yeah um so that sounds like there's a problem that we're crushing down it's it's not literally just people yeah. are busy and there's weird yeah. stuff to figure out and it's hard to figure out and i can't do any of it the bit that i can do is talk about basketball so so let's do let's that. crack on with that and, so and you can't half segue into actually getting about talking about stuff what a wizard so so finally james harden has done everything possible to get out of Houston, including not really trying, not staying in shape, not following COVID protocols. So, of course, after not doing all of that stuff, he had a press conference last night where he said he's tried everything possible and he can't <laughs> stay away out of it. And he gets sent to Brooklyn a year, no, a day later. Of course, he's not the first 31-year-old man with a long beard to move to Brooklyn to follow his dreams. But, <laughs> you know... Here we are, unfulfilled, uh, a bit sad, with a long beard. He's off to Brooklyn to change his life. I, I will tell you. I will say this: having like read up on all the situation, a separate to all this, when Demarcus Cousins is pointing out how bad your attitude is for the locker room, you need to have a serious think about what you're doing. And yeah, it's like the bigger point. The guy who's the GM in Houston now, Raphael Stone. I applaud him because he is obviously a bigger and better man than I am because had James Harden come out with all that stuff the night before the trade went down, that would have been the point at which I was kind of fudging the forms at the last minute and getting him sent to Cleveland rather than Brooklyn where he actually wanted to go. Because if he was that determined to tank the Rockets whole season like he was, he would have ended up in Cleveland if I'd had my way about it. That's just what I was thinking. I wonder what the worst James Harden place would be, considering what do we know about James Harden? He's like, likes partying. Obviously a really good basketball player, but that aside, likes partying, um, likes to frequent strip clubs. I, I don't know. Like, obviously, I don't know where is a hot spot or a not spot for that. What, yeah. a, great, what a great saying. Um, but I don't know, packing him off to somewhere like Utah, it's yeah. hilarious to me. Well, you, Utah's famously the place the um, the Warriors didn't want their playoff series to be because they said there was, it was like they were playing the winner of the Clippers and the Jazz and they hoped it would be the Clippers because there was more nightlife in LA than in Utah. 
Um, Wasn't it Joe Engel that was like, you can go to Vegas, I'll pay your cabs? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, one of the things I read about James Harden was anytime the Rockets played in LA, Phoenix, or Miami, um, he always like insisted to management that they stay another night before they fly back because they were the places he liked to hang out. And anytime they had like multiple days off, he would call practice off so that he could go, he could jump on a flight to Vegas and get back to Houston in time. Um, the, the it's th- like, I don't, I can't like, there's a weird thing of like, if you're also doing your job, I can't knock you wanting to enjoy your free time. Like every NBA player that wants to do it, I'm sure does it. But it's yeah. like, if you're also being really disruptive to the company that pays you 40 million a year, probably yeah. needing to rein it in a bit or yeah. yourself. and i think i i had a good think about this earlier when i because i've read a lot of the coverage today and it basically says that because james harden would disappear on these like nightlife crusades anytime he got a chance but he would then show up to the game hungover and he'd still score 40 points and completely own the game offensively and generally everybody with the Rockets would turn a blind eye to it because he was being productive but then you think about how close Houston have got in the playoffs multiple times and you're like hey James Harden only needs to be like three percent better than he is game in and game out and you might be able to squeeze three percent out yourself if you aren't combining the kind of rigorous regular season with also parting every time you get six hours break (laughs) like Yeah, you wonder why Chris Paul was so frustrated. (laughs) Can you imagine Chris Paul trying to eke every drop out of his aging body, and James Harden's disappearing off to strip clubs anytime he's in a city he likes? Yeah, and that's the thing is like he's been on a team with like a load of different but incredibly motivated personalities. Like if it doesn't, and Dwight Howard. Well, yeah, but not that. (laughs) But like, I mean, like if it doesn't work with Russell Westbrook or Chris Paul, who are both hyper-competitive, but different people. Yeah. Like, you've, like, not worked with different styles of very professional basketball players. Yeah. And there's a thing of, like, you're right, if you're that good and you've been that good all along and you've actually got it done, you can say, well, yeah, I'm still getting it done, but there's no sense, like, doing whatever you want, going out and not taking stuff seriously when you're like, well, yeah, but I'm nearly getting it done all the time. And it's like, all right, man, like that. Yeah. (laughs) That doesn't. It's, um, it's become like a bit of an NBA coverage buzz phrase. I've noticed since like this off season, especially when they're talking about swapping coaches and stuff, the phrase seems to be get someone in who picks the low hanging fruit as in makes the obvious... They talked about Stan Van Gundy that way and somebody else, I can't remember who. But it's like someone who comes in and shores up the things that are very obviously within your control. And if you're a superstar level player, you would think that not going out on a bender any chance you get and not going to strip clubs in between games, that seems like some pretty low-hanging fruit to me. You just don't do those things. Yeah, like... I don't know, there's just a weird thing of like anyone like us two and anyone else listening to this who's played basketball or wheelchair basketball, any sport really knows that like if something doesn't go well for you in your chosen sport, you can kind of finish it and be like, well, I either did or didn't do everything in my power. So I either do or don't feel fine with this. Like, you know, like if you do absolutely everything you can and you work your, you work your, ass off and you you know you do every little bit that you can yeah. and then sometimes it just doesn't fall the right way then you can probably feel a lot better about it than like i don't know like i yeah. feel like when he gets knocked out of the playoffs there should be something in him where he's like could i have done more but then also like how much higher is the ceiling if you're yeah 35 well, I, and yeah there is that i think the the other thing i think when you read you read about the nightlife because the funny thing I always thought is if you asked me which guard from Houston last year would be out like until the early hours of the morning and trudging in, you would think that Westbrook's got kind of like the manic energy of someone who's always up for going to a nightclub. Whereas you imagine that like James Harden, if you look, think about what he's like in games, you just imagine him like in a nightclub or in a strip club with just the same kind of glazed over 
<laughs> when you see him on court, he like never looks particularly intense or involved. Even if he's having like a hot night, he just has the same kind of stoic, like blank expression. You just imagine him yeah. in a nightclub or a strip club with everything going on around him, him still just being like, yeah. 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 He looks like the sort of person, like the way he carries himself on a basketball court, looks like the sort of person that's like fallen asleep on a sofa in a club yeah. and got through a night because they thought he was drunk. I've seen that happen to people. They're like, no, uh, no, he doesn't even drink. He's just so tired. <laughs> just three in the morning and he got comfy. I promise. <laughs> but, oh, yeah. Man. I love how we've just gone in and we're like, so let's talk about the Rockets um, trade. And then we were just like, so James Harden, almost not worth it. Um, yeah, definitely. It. Shall we talk about whether he was actually worth it? So let's line. Let's actually go through what happened. I've got it in front of me. Yeah. If you want me to yeah, rattle through it, fire away. Okay, so the Rockets get Victor Oladipo, Rodion's Kuritz, Dante Axum, uh, former top five draft pick, Dante Axum, oh, unprotected first round picks from Brooklyn, 2022, 24, 26, and the Milwaukee, 2022. And four unprotected first round pick swaps, which is you can swap it if it's a better pick than your pick in 2021, 23, 25, and 27, which is the most they were allowed to send. Yeah. Because you're only allowed to send a certain amount of picks in a certain amount of years. I think bar picks cut, actual solid picks can't convey one year after the other, which is why they have to alternate picks and yeah. pick swaps is something like yeah. that. And I don't think anyone has any. You only have your draft picks like on your radar within seven years, or so, like you can't. Yeah, yeah, it's seven, I think. Pick. So they've gone everything they actually could, bar they've actually also sent the Milwaukee pick. Um, the Nets get James Harden, the Pacers get Karis Levert and a 2023 second round pick from Houston, and the Cavs get Jared Allen and Torian Prince. So I think. The main thing, the big question for me is considering how much better that does or doesn't make the Nets, is it worth the Nets for the second time in our lifetimes trading away everything to have three players on contract like on contract for two years each? Like yeah. in two years time, all three of those guys can choose to leave and they have the oh, Kyrie Irving certainly not waiting two years. Kyrie Irving just left last week. That was my big thing the whole <laughs> way through this. I was like, there was no real urgency for the Nets to give away quite this much, and the Rockets had no leverage because Harden said he wanted to leave. Unless the leverage is that Kyrie Irving's retiring, like he's just like, no, I don't play basketball anymore. Uh, like I there's too much going on. I would love Kyrie to retire. That'd be amazing. Like that, that, just if that's what this was all driven by. If they were like, no, we have to give up everything to get James Harden because KD knows that Kyrie's never playing basketball. <laughs> like that would be the maddest thing in the world. Because that's the thing about it. Like I think that's way too much stuff to give up for James Harden. Yeah, especially I, because he's like, I don't want to be here. So you shouldn't have to talk the rockets into it that much yeah it's it's bizarre but i think i don't know i i think it's interesting that you bring up the um the nets and it was the nets and celtics trade that was 2012 2013 uh um, well, i think when they gave up effectively the sa- they mortgaged their entire seven year future for paul pierce and kevin garnett at that point and neither they didn't get anywhere with it and those guys left and Boston were then seen kind of the same way that OKC is seen now where it's like oh these guys are geared up for the next seven years and it's like six or seven years later already and neither team is really in a better position based off of that trade up like yeah, Brooklyn have now got two more stars but that wasn't based off of anything that happened it's not like Pierce and Garnett brought in a culture that was so effective that it lasted until they could be replaced. Yeah, the um, but, Nets like completely hit rock bottom yeah. and got a new GM who was actually switched on. And yeah. He's like built them all the way back up to this 
KD and Kyrie both just wanted to live in New yeah. York and play basketball with each other. So, like, there's something in being a GM that's smart enough that you accumulate assets and space and you time it right, knowing that you're in a place that good guys want to actually yeah. be. Like, sure. that's that's the whole Lakers thing, but also there is some skill in, like, knowing that you're yeah. the Lakers and you yeah. can... If like if you time it right, you can just yeah. be like, "Hey, you, come live in LA; it'll be great." Yeah, use your tools to your advantage. But I think yeah. that interesting. The interestingly, the flip side of that is that Boston had the kind of war chest of assets that they drafted Tatum and Brown uh, with one of those picks, I think, and then one of them was their own. And mm-hmm. then, other than that, they've basically just drafted guys who are just about good enough to be in the rotation. Like they've and sent some picks away for Kyrie Irving. Yeah, um, but they've drafted like Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, Semi Like they're all kind of fringe rotation guys who are all right. But I think that shows the real danger of giving up everything for picks is that picks seem great as an idea until you actually have to bite the bullet and turn it into a player, and it then many years later can look like oh we got we actually traded James Harden for eight guys who would turn out to be all right role players and not a whole lot else yeah I think that's the thing where it's like I don't know obviously but picks are I don't know it's like how how well do people value picks like that pick is obviously depending on where they come from like the Brooklyn picks in 2022 2024 Four shouldn't be very good. Yeah, twenty twenty six. If you're like the whole reason those Boston picks ended up good from Brooklyn is that they were like, yeah, have our picks, we'd be great anyway, and then they fell apart really short term. Yeah, and the picks ended up top five, which yeah, was sure. completely insane. So that's the whole thing. Like that Brooklyn pick in twenty twenty six. If those three guys resign, shouldn't be brilliant because they'll all still be mid 30s so it'll yeah. be okay like they'll not be they're not going to be as good as they are this year or next oh, year but we like we don't even know how good they're going to be this year but we'll have to get to that yeah so. that's i have i have some i have some questions but um <laughs> yeah so that's the whole thing it's like picks are depends on how you value them depending on how well you think the team you're getting them from is going to do in the next few years because like the pick as soon as you actually pick it turns into a physical living breathing player who yeah. needs to hold the value of the potentially 12th pick in the draft like you know what yeah. i mean like because that could you could be picking within a range before the draft odds get sorted out like you could be picking somewhere between the fifth and the tenth pick so if you trade that to someone who thinks they might get the fifth pick and then you end up actually drafting someone at 10 who isn't that excited. Like just yeah. the value of it changes when you actually draft. And then it can change again if you draft someone low down and develop them. Like, Yeah, yeah I mean, it, the ultimate example out of that last deal we were talking about is the kind of roller coaster being that Boston got a load of those picks, got Tatum and Brown, they all swapped one pick for Kyrie that ended up being eighth to Cleveland. So Cleveland got that pick and that obviously having a lottery pick in a year that LeBron was deciding whether to stay or not should seem like it would be something that would entice a star player that you could get a really good rookie. But then when it falls to number eight, you assume that's not going to happen. Turned into Colin Sexton, who looked like he was at best a backup point guard for the first two years. And then this year it's like, oh, he's what I think Milwaukee always hoped Eric Bledsoe would be when it mattered. Uh, yeah. Like the, the fluctuation in value is nuts when you're yeah, trying I, to project that far down the line. It just doesn't... Yeah. You've basically given James Harden up for eight separate mystery boxes at this point. Yeah, and there's a thing of like, this is all like, it all moves so much as well. Like those mystery boxes aren't even like, God, how is this eighth pick going to turn out? It's like, this could be the 30th pick if these guys are really good. Like... And that 30th pick could be great if you yeah. have good player development guys, but you probably don't because you sign star players. Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like, the Nets probably are pretty good for both. But, like, a lot of a lot of teams are either we sign really good guys or we make the best of what we have. Like, there's yeah. no secret that there are certain teams that seem to draft weird guys that happen to 
do really well. But yeah, I think the thing with like the Sexton thing, for example, is like a lot of 32 year old NBA players are like, why the hell would I wait around for this guy to figure it out? Like, yeah. get rid of him because I think a number one pick, just exactly the same thing. It has more value to a team that wants to be good in four years' time than it does to LeBron, for example. Yeah. Want, like LeBron, who does not need an 18 year old point guard who hasn't figured out the NBA three point line and whatever. And it's like Colin Sexton wouldn't be this good if LeBron stayed there, is probably yeah. the next bit. Well, maybe because being around a guy like that's probably good for you. But like in terms of the actual amount of time you get to run a pick and roll in the game and whatever. But yeah, so it's all, it's all moving parts. But I just think overall, my big thing is. Did the Nets, the amount the Nets get uh, give up, does it like improve the possibility that they win an NBA championship in the next two years enough? And I don't think it does because I still like they were they're zero and five in games that they haven't scored one hundred and twenty points. So. Yeah. Their defense is the problem, and this for sure does not fix that. Their <laughs> offense was good enough anyway. Yeah. Like, it was ridiculous. Like, KD is 95% of old KD already. Like, yeah. he's absolutely looking unbelievable and really healthy. Kyrie Irving, if he comes back, was scoring and distributing and holding ben, up a little bit on defense. Burning he, Sage. Yes. He um, needs some kind of go-to move that can be called Burning Sage. Yes, probably. But, I, but yeah, so if he comes back and the way they were before where they had a lot of moving moving parts and Jared Allen actually started instead of DeAndre Jordan <laughs> for the first time. Well, DeAndre Jordan didn't play a single second the last game they played before this trade happens. Yeah, because we're they keeping ex- him fresh because he's going to have to play 48 minutes a game for the rest of the season. Don't, hey, don't, you, don't you talk about Jeff Green like that. <laughs> but, um my my favorite thing in the reasons why I'm not sold on this trade for Brooklyn is that I think if you assume that KD, Kyrie, and Harden can peacefully coexist, which is not a given, I think Joe Harris is potentially like role player, ideal role player number one for them because he's just going to stand in the corners and be left so open. And then oh, yeah. the, the other two guys who would be good role players to have around them out of everyone on the roster were Torian Prince and Karis Levert and, um, excuse me, Jared Allen. Jared Allen. Oh, <laughs> yeah. like they've just get, they've given away the guys who would have filled the obvious holes in the starting lineup. Yeah. And papered That's over the some like of the gaps. Yeah. Yeah. Like they've given away a good wing defender. Like Kevin Durant is now their best wing defender and room protector. Like yeah. Kevin Durant is also. Got- the adult in the room, which is draining. Like yeah. he has to do like the defensive and offensive equivalent of like when you're left in charge of like a group of like younger people, whether it's coaching or looking after your young relative or whatever, yeah. and you like lose sight of one of them for a second. You're like, what are you doing? Put that down. <laughs> like or like when you when you your two dogs were still very young and it was just like yeah, wait, make everything sight of one of them. What is happening? Like he has to just run around and babysit now because he's the only sensible one out of the three of them. Yeah, I, I don't he's know, man. Not exactly nice the, or normal. Yeah, the thing, the thing that I mean, we talked about this very briefly on WhatsApp yesterday when the trade went down. But the whole reason that the Lakers worked with kind of the narrow margin for error behind LeBron and. AD is that AD's 27 and was like had been in enough losing situations that he was kind of prepared to do what it takes to win regardless of what was asked of him and he's mobile and big enough and kind of flexible enough that you it didn't matter what the situation was be it he's going to have to guard Jokic he's going to have to shoot some threes now he's going to have to like Jimmy Butler killed them in like killed them in game three of the finals, so they just put AD on him. Like that, the only weakness in his game was that he's not a primary creator, and he was just freed up from having to even think about that because he was playing with LeBron. Whereas KD seems like he's back offensively, but he's now the only guy on Brooklyn who, any time a 
kind of a leak springs up, you're going to be like, well, we're going to have to ask KD to plug this one. And he's five years older than AD coming off an injury. And crucially, he didn't seem to love being on a super team last time he was on one. So he went out to Brooklyn to forge his own path. And now he's got James Harden and Kyrie Irving with him. Although although these two guys both, it did very much seem like KD wanted to play with both of these guys. So they went out and got both of these guys. Like, I don't think he didn't want this to happen. Like, all reporting seems to be that this is just kind of like KD was like, hey, go get James Harden, please. But do you think they I, know, I think the thing Kyrie is like, if KD had wanted them to, do you think they would have traded Kyrie? I think so. Like, <laughs> I don't think they, I don't think he would have wanted them to. But like, it, basically, that question is like, is it KD's team over Kyrie's team? And yeah. I think the answer is yes. Yeah. Um, but no, I don't know. I think that's the thing. Like last year, you were talking about like, like they had AD, who just like you watch some of those Miami Finals games, and AD is what people talk about Draymond being on defense, yeah. like. He's what people think he actually is what people think Draymond is, plus he can get off the floor. Yeah. <laughs> um I just like completely like, yeah, I'll do it all. Don't worry about it. And also 35-year-old LeBron actually tried for two months in a row, yeah. which was really, really, really impressive. But you've just got three of these guys, two of them which can't stop anyone. And the, this team is like a middling defense. I think. What they're hoping for is like that last Cleveland team that was like the best offense of all time before Luka Doncic or the Utah Jazz. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they were kind of 16th to 20th on defense, but like their offense was so good, it kind of didn't matter. And then they came up against Golden State and didn't get all the way. But I just think like, so before this trade happened, in my mind, they were like, I don't know. There was I could I could have seen them maybe like thirty percent chance that they were gonna win the championship, maybe. Yeah. And now it's like for all they give up, it better be like sixty and it for sure isn't. <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like I, I don't know those numbers aren't bang on, but like in my mind, but like I they were like I was like, Yeah, they're a legitimate contender and their offense is so good that They've got a bit of depth and they can play Gareth Levert and Spencer Dinwiddie and whatever. And obviously his injury hasn't helped or whatever. But like yeah. they've got, they had enough little pieces in there because you need like eight guys, maybe. And now they have four. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing. And now it's like, I don't think they're any more likely. They're either not much more likely to win a championship this year or they might be slightly less likely in my head because you're relying on them hitting like there's going to be a game maybe in a week's time that they have like 170 points yeah and it's like oh my god this is the most efficient thing i've ever seen and i don't know steve nash might get james harden to try a little bit or um well no they don't have a coach that knows anything about defense because his assistant coach is mike d'antoni so unless they like hire um flip what do you call him the rockets old defensive uh jeff bazelic yeah, unless they manage to get Jeff Bezalik out of retirement um, or the Rockets. I don't know if he's retired or a I Rockets th- player. I think he's um, Bezalik is with the Pelicans now, possibly. Oh, I'm not sure. well, that's cool. I didn't uh, know that. But I yeah, I just, he was last time I saw him. He might have retired since. Um, yeah. But here's one thing I did wonder. Do you think after a few years in Houston, Mike D'Antoni saw this going down and was like, hey, throw me in the trade. I don't want more James Harden. Send me back to Houston without it. <laughs> I'll do with it what I can. Yeah, that's a weird thing because, like, I wonder either Steve Nash would have been fine with it because he's obviously talked to his assistant coach and been like, hey, is this guy, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like, is yeah. this guy actually worth all the trouble? And he would have gotten decent advice from Mike D'Antoni, I assume. So either he's been like, it's James Harden, go get it. Or Katie's just yeah. been like, Shut up, you little small Canadian boy. Uh, <laughs> uh, get this sorted. But I don't know. But my thing, my other thing on on it is like they've ended up with just James Harden, and they've treated all of this stuff. And you you're not telling like PJ Tucker's worth about a first round pick now. Yeah. Like you telling me you couldn't have got PJ Tucker as well, or you couldn't have got Daniel House as well. Maybe they don't like each other, or I don't know. Maybe. I, 
I don't think anyone from Houston wants um, Daniel House in the picture anymore. I don't think D'Antoni or Harden would be particularly pleased to see him again after his antics in the bubble. No, maybe that's it. But I mean, just in terms of like you were saying, of all the depth they give up and all the pieces and like the wing defenders and the spot up guys and whatever, it's like PJ Tucker's perfect on that team. Daniel House is pretty perfect on that team. And you give up so much that like if you give up one pick, for a player, for example, adding yeah. a second player might necessitate another pick. But if you give up seven picks, eight picks, adding one extra player into that shouldn't really, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like yeah, it's I know what you mean. comparatively, like you probably don't need to add much more in there. Like maybe change some sort of something around. Like I don't know, but the picks yeah, aren't even protected. Like well, yeah, it's a good that, deal. Is, that is crazy. Actually, what the one thing I did wonder is. um as has been the case for the whole kind of off season. And now that trade season is going to start up again and the buyout market's going to come around at some point, OKC have facilitated every trade they possibly can because they take a guy in on a contract that isn't favorable for a draft pick. And then they flip him to somebody who actually can fit that contract in their books for a draft. They're just pick. the middlemen, aren't they? Yeah. It's great. Yeah, they, they are. The, the money um, is resting in their account. So to speak. it is. And they would seem like the obvious team that the Nets could like pick the bones of their roster and get George Hill and Trevor Ariza, but Brooklyn don't even have any draft picks to send. <laughs> so, and that's the only currency that Sam Presti wants to deal in anyway. He doesn't want Chris Chioza or yeah. Timothy Luawu Cabarro or whatever. His name yeah, is. my thing on all of that is like, They've given up, yeah, they've given up everything. They can't get any better. Do you think if they, like, didn't get James Harden and used all of these picks separately to, like, I don't know, go and get X-Wing Defender, yeah. like PJ Tucker instead, or they used a bit of it to go and get yeah. a, a random smorgasbord of, like, helpful-ish players around two stars, like... We're talking about they give up all of their depth for a third star instead of being two stars yeah. and a load of depth. They could have been two stars and a load more depth. Yeah. And a I, I better just, defenders, and I think they would have been way better. Yeah, I just don't think the trade market works that way because it's like no, most role players that you can get, you would never swap anything more than... Say you want to upgrade a role player, you would never give anything more than your own role player plus a first round pick next year, for example. It's like a, yeah. a sweetener. But then because James Harden is like such a superstar level, it's, you know, his equivalent value in picks is probably like four first round picks where a role player would get one first round pick. But then by the time you've gone in with four picks, you know, if they then drive the price up again, you're probably not going to say no then because there's no other alleyway to to getting him. Yeah. So. There are only so many James Harden's like as yeah. much as we've talked a little bit fresh about him, like 35 yeah. points a game, like absolute bonafide all-star, like walking playoff birth. Yeah. And the, but I just don't think they needed that. Like he raises your floor. Yeah. I, I don't see it. And I, this is the first time since, because I don't really agree with guys forcing their way out of teams. I was very anti Lakers for all of last year because it seemed like, AD kind of forced his way to the Lakers and then as soon as it turned out that that team worked, everybody forgave him for having half-assed it with the Pelicans and that never really yeah. washed with me. Whereas I feel I would be perfectly happy for the Lakers to win the title now as long as the Nets don't win it. <laughs> you operate out of spite a lot where you're like, hey, oh, yeah, I, do. I, feel, do. I don't feel as strongly negatively about this team anymore because someone else is my new least favorite. Yeah, so. No. That's that's entirely it, and I can't have two years in a row of my least favorite team winning the title. <laughs> Just that that's fair, uh, and like they're going to be so much fun, and it's going to be completely mayhem as long as Kyrie comes back. And then if he doesn't, like the reason for which he he does not come back might be interesting enough that I forgive him <laughs> because it's also like a soap opera rather than a sport. Like, but I don't know. I just it just it could be class, but I don't. Think, and here's where it gets 
tricky and impossible to actually analyze in any way concretely because there is no such thing as like concrete analysis before the fact like if they do this and they win an nba championship they were right so like shut up everyone else but you have to just operate on like percentage chance that they achieve their goals and what percent in did like what percentage did this increase by them doing this versus the risk and it's like i don't think they got better on offense but i don't think they got that much closer to winning considering like their offense was already championship level offense. like you need a top five ish offense and top five defense ish or you can be like best offense by a mile and top 10 defense yeah so Without Harden, they probably still could have been a top one, two, or three offense in the whole league. And they could have just created to have a couple of guys that could actually stay in front of a wing defender that wasn't also taking 26 shots a game. Yeah. Just off a knee injury at seven foot tall. But <laughs> instead, they've gone, okay, but instead of being third best on offense and 10th best on defense, how about we're best on offense and 26th on defense? Like, it's. <laughs> Yeah, James Harden's just come from that, and it didn't work. Like, yeah. I th- they've duplicated on their strengths to the point of diminishing returns now, while making no effort to kind of cover up the gaps in their duplicated weaknesses. Is yeah, probably a like a slightly reductive way of. No, that's um, that's exactly it. Yeah, I. I don't buy it, but like you say, they could show us. But I just, with the teams they'll have to go through in the East playoffs, and then you would assume they'll probably play the Lakers in the NBA Finals. Hot take. Um, Or the Clips. Them against the Clippers is going to be so much fun. Yeah. I don't know, man. I would have more faith in, like you were saying about their offensive and defensive numbers. I get that, but I also... I would have a lot more faith in the Nets being only a James Harden away from being a real problem if they hadn't just lost to the Thunder like five days ago. Like yeah. you can't you can't be losing to like terrible teams and be like, hey, we'll bring James Harden in and everything will click into place. It's- yeah, especially because like what was the score in that game? Yeah, it was one twelve, one oh seven, something like that, I think. It was a relatively low-scoring game for the Nets, but that they were like Shea Gilgis Alexander was carving them up, and that yeah. was when, that was when they still had their defenders. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, no, the thing was 129, 116. Oh, I must be looking at a different one then. Like, um, yeah, if it's 120, if you're conceding 129, but you're you're scoring 116, that's fine. Like. <laughs> You're good. That's what I mean. They haven't won a game this season when they haven't scored. No, today, last night was the first time, correction, that they won a game. Obviously, the trades work then. Yes, last (laughs) night. Um, And that was the Knicks, so it doesn't really count, even though the Knicks are apparently an actual team now. Um, But so they are 5 and 1 when they don't score 120. So the Mads they're playing is like, hey, what will we be if we score 130? Yeah, uh, it's weird, man. Should we hit the other areas of the trade? Because yeah, so um, around these a bit. So I we can't be that critical about the Nets without just being very, very, very high on the Rockets. Yeah, like shout out to the Rockets' new GM for being like, this guy doesn't want to be here. We have absolutely no leverage whatsoever, and still getting absolutely everything. I think it's just further proof that like it's like the idea thing again, like superstar trades, you give away way too yeah. much and then you maybe win a championship and it's worth it. Do, do you want to hear my theory on what's happened Houston's side? Go on. Sam Presti of OKC has called up um, Raphael Stone and he's been like, hey, here's what you do when you need to get rid of a star player you take all of their draft assets for the next seven years and you insist on that. And if they don't do it, that's their problem. Because what's actually happened is they've brought in Oladipo, whose contract's going to be up and he's going to go to Miami. Cousins is going to be gone. John Wall will probably play out 
the rest of the year with some, the rest of his contract with the same cast of role players. They won't be any good. And about the same time that Houston are going to be terrible once all their current contracts have run out is when their draft picks to OKC start to convey. Yeah. So I think they've basically, they're going to just lose their current roster and go into a rebuild because they have the Nets picks and they're going to be aiming to rebuild with those picks. And all of the picks that are going to come organically from them being terrible are going to be handed over to OKC. So OKC have indirectly won this whole thing because they've put Houston on a timeline where the picks are just going to come into them. Yeah, and they don't really care because they'll be all right with other people's picks anyway. (laughs) So I like that, but I think, yeah, to say Houston were, like 24 hours ago, Houston were in the situation Brooklyn are in right now where they had literally no future laid out for them. They've basically borrowed another team's future, which is essentially what OKC did to them. So it's just yeah, the, just, the circle of life at this point. Yeah, someone reset on them, and then them reset. They like re- they reset it for themselves. Is that just further proof that like you can just be a good GM on promise? Like, uh, yeah, probably. You get like you can't like I don't know because there's the whole thing of like until Boston actually win. Yeah, it, like I don't really. I still like I still love Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two absolute studs. So like he's done a great job there, but like he's still living off the last five years of praise from that deal when they yeah, haven't actually no, done I think- it yet. So it's like Raphael Stone is probably living the dream for another couple of years, and then if they don't actually ever get even as far as they got with this Harden team, yeah, like well, he'll probably like people kind of forget about it. Yeah, I think probably Raphael Stone is viewed as being the greatest success by um, the Rockets owner because he's so notoriously cheap. Oh Raphael. yeah, like he got them under the he got them under Ra- the tax. Raphael Stone must have just gone into his office and been like, "Hey, boss, what's up? Do you want to pay nobody any money until the year 2024?" And his boss like, "Yes, where do I sign?" How hilarious is how hilarious is it that the Rockets got under the tax because they got rid of Harden because he makes that much money, even though they received a player that the Pacers moved and have now got under the tax as well. Yeah, like the Pacers have got Karis Levert for Oladipo, so they're financially better off as well like that's how much money Harden was on Um, but yeah so uh, the Pacers I think also got a little bit better because Oladipo isn't as good anymore since he blew his whole life up um, or his whole leg up and Karis Levert's like a little bit taller can defend a little bit better can probably create his own shot a little bit better now than Oladipo can as like a second or third guy yeah, and I think that's the crucial bit, I think, is that um, kind of the Oladipo and Levert were in the same situation with their teams where it had been Oladipo's team up to a point and then he'd been away and it had been Sabonis's team and kind of Brogdon's team last year. And Levert had the same thing where he was one of the guys when the Nets were just like fun and lost to Philly in the first round a couple of years ago. And then it was entirely his team in the bubble when most of their roster didn't bother to go. But mm-hmm. I think when you move those guys on into a different situation, like I think had Levert been in been with the Pacers for a few years, he would probably be pushing for it to be more about him. But I think you kind of restore the balance when you bring a new guy in who doesn't have any experience on that team being the guy. Yeah. Like the Pacers have never been Levert's team, even if he is the equivalent talent level of Oladipo now. Yeah. So I think it's just easier to slot in and find your spot. And the same thing for Oladipo in Houston, really. Yeah. Like if you're as talented, but in slightly different areas, you might find different little yeah. gaps here that, like, it's literally just like, I don't know, there could be things as small as, like, if you're as talented as this person, but like slightly taller, as we've said. Yeah. So you're yeah. able to sort of go and do this thing that this person couldn't, which means that you can take advantage of this yeah. thing or you can play a bit better defense, or even if you happen to go left further, like more than yeah. you go right. And that ends up like there's weird, like organic things that just kind of happen. But yeah, no, I think um, the Levert thing was good. And Indiana have been 
one of my favourite league pass teams this year. And mainly because I don't know if it's the coaching change entirely or Miles Turner not being happy that he was about to get traded to the Celtics. But Mm. Miles Turner has now decided that he's actually going to be as good as there never seemed like any reason he shouldn't be. I feel like you watch enough Miles Turner over the last three or four years and you're like, this guy makes sense on paper and doesn't do a great deal when it comes down to it. And now he's blocking four shots a game and making threes consistently. And it's like, oh, he's doing the same stuff he's always done, but better. And it makes a massive difference. He's just turned it on a bit more. Yeah. Um, So I really like Indiana. And I said this about them last year until Sabonis got hurt. And they got swept by Miami, which seemed bad at the time, but Miami then turned out to be the East finalists. But I, Oladipo, Olivert, I would not want to play Indiana in the playoffs, and I'm pretty sure that someone in the Boston and Philadelphia-Miami region of the kind of playoff brackets is going to be really hoping they don't run into them. Unless Boston's really determined to carry on playing that Daniel Tice and Tristan Thompson combo, which they shouldn't be because it's terrible. Yeah, they shouldn't be. But <laughs> I don't think they are. Like he said it, but like he's he's come out and like uh, what do you call it? Brad Stevens has come out and been like, yeah, this isn't what we kind of yeah. wanted to do, but we're just waiting for thingy to get back. What do you call him? Uh, Kemba Walker. Like yeah. yeah, we're just waiting for Kemba to come back. Like we don't actually want to be doing this. Imagine <laughs> that. Your coach, like, because you already know that if you're the guy that was going to come off the bench and then you're starting because someone else yeah. is like, your coach doesn't need to come out and be like, nah. Yeah. Like, to be fair, based on the reactions of everybody who podcasts or writes for The Ringer, I think there's a real chance that Kemba will come off the bench behind Peyton Pritchard. I've liked him to be fair. He's not Kamba, but I've liked him. Like I thought I th- I thought he was good. But also there's just like there are players that I end up liking because I watch them more because I know someone who supports that team. Yeah. And they're like, "Hey, have a look at this." Yeah, I don't mind I don't mind Peyton Pritchard, but he is like supercharged TJ McConnell. It's like if you could trust TJ McConnell to not get eaten alive on defense and just do all the weird annoying spark pluggy stuff that he does the rest of the time. Like stuff. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. Um, but yeah, I think Indiana did, going back to the original point, I think Indiana did good out of this, especially considering all the stuff about Oladipo wanting out had kind of quieted down. And I think everyone had just assumed they'd all be happy to get on with it. And they saw that opportunity to make, if not an upgrade, then at least a lateral move that got rid of some of the weird hierarchical issues. And they were like, hey, we'll jump in on this trade that's not really anything to do with us. And we'll take that yeah. guy. Thanks a lot. So I think, oh, we've not hit the Cavs side of this. Does anyone care about the Cavs? Uh, I'm sure people do. Uh, <laughs> That's a no. Jared Allen gets to rebound for Drummond in training now, even <laughs> though he's the best center involved. He's the best center that plays for any of these teams who isn't uh, Evan Turner. Uh, not Evan Turner. Sorry. Uh, Miles Turner. Turner. Like, yeah, like he's the second best center on any of these four teams, yeah. probably. Unless you really like, um, unless you really like Christian Wood or whatever the Rockets guy's called. Like, <laughs> he's all right. I he's, he's cool. Like, he was a fun. It's funny that, like, he came in and everyone was like, oh, this is actually a really cool guy for Harden to play with. <laughs> and James Harden was like, no, he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I tell you, it'll be more fun for me to play with DeAndre Jordan's shuffling corpse. Yeah, I just like um, it's like weekend at Bernie's. They've just like stood up a dead body <laughs> and like put him in the post with a hand up asking for the ball. But my thing is just like in a trade like this, there's always a team that I'm like, yeah, that's the graveyard. So they've like Cavaliers yeah. are just like the or the bin or like the the yeah. wasteland, and they've just sent they've sent Jared Allen off to limbo. Yeah, but it's yeah. like I get why you would want to get off him if you're Brooklyn. Kind of because he's out of contract next year, so you're gonna have to pay him, or someone is. So like yeah. getting rid of him isn't terrible if you're gonna have to pay him. But like you also didn't have to currently be paying DeAndre Jordan. Yeah, that like that's ten the thing. a year. I, is it? Yeah, it's ten a year. Um, that's the thing I thought when I read about that. It's like they got rid of. They basically threw Jared Allen in because they needed 
Torian Prince's contract gone to fit Harden. Yeah. And then you realise that Jared Allen's making just less than four million and would be in line for whatever extension they wanted to give him, which I think is up to a hundred mil, which is way too much for him. But then you realise that the other two guys that are going to be in their starting lineup are DeAndre Jordan and Joe Harris, who are on the hook for a hundred and fifteen million between the two of them. And it's like, well, yeah, like players get expensive. Like role players that are cheap, if they're if they're any good for you, they get expensive. So like that was gonna happen, but it just it didn't. Like he wasn't yet. So like yeah. you could have kept him for the if you didn't have. DeAndre Jordan on the year, you could have had him for nothing this year and then made a decision. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's it baffles me. The The idea that you're so hell-bent on right now that you get Harden in at the expense of an objectively good starting centre on a minimum contract is just... seems like a desperation move more than anything else, considering that you wanted to get off Torian Prince, who would also be good for your team right now if you could find a way to keep him. But, yeah, yeah. I don't, but I don't think I don't think him like I don't think not keeping Jared Allen like it is obviously part. It's the Harden deal, but I think it's actually what do you got? I think it's more that you shouldn't have paid DeAndre Jordan in the first place. Like well, you yeah. could have had them both in my mind. Yeah, there is that. The DeAndre Jordan contract is reprehensible. Wor- yeah. worst it always was but he's just yeah. their friend do you think it was like i like when you go to like there's a party or whatever it's like well i'm not going if this person's not going well i'm not going if this person's not going <laughs> and the the thing that tied Kyrie and kd together was their mutual friend yeah my, well my theory was because deandre jordan played for dallas in the year of the chris Tapps trade so deandre jordan got traded to the knicks in february and was with the Knicks for two months. And prior to that, there was all the talk about Kyrie and KD teaming up at the Knicks, potentially. So I think there was no pre-existing relationship beyond, between them and DeAndre Jordan. And then he must have rung them out of the blue one day and be like, look, guys, it's a shambles over here. Whatever you do, find somewhere else. So they'll have looked at Brooklyn and they'll be like, hey, this guy did us a solid. Let's get him paid as well and cripple our chances at keeping the young guys who are on affordable contracts. Yeah, well, I I, I can only assume that. There are just like, even the smartest and best NBA players of all time have done stuff like that where they were like, I like this guy. I don't <laughs> know. I think there's life in the old dog yet. Get Dwayne Wade over here to Cleveland. Well, look at the, that. Literally four months later, it was like, get out of my sight. Look <laughs> That same season when they were trying to fill out the roster and they brought in Kendrick Perkins, <laughs> he like couldn't even stand up anymore. <laughs> I don't know, man. All, all that stuff is like where the politics of it come in too much from the player's side, I think. But yeah, like it's the fact that player empowerment is fantastic for everyone, except for the fact that the smart GM would be one that would be like, no, shut up. Of course I'm not. Br- of course you can't yeah. bring a friend. <laughs> but, like then you just wouldn't get Katie and yeah. Irie or James Harden. Like, yeah, I, you, like you'd be smarter by being like, no, shut up. You come here because we'd be good. Yeah. But NBA players think they know better because a lot of the times they do. Yeah. As, as much of a liability as DeAndre Jordan in and of himself is DeAndre Jordan is worth it if it means you get one of those guys, let alone becomes the path to getting all three of them, I guess. Yeah. So Yeah, I think the thing is like if you divide his salary between those three guys, it's worth it's like the giving up a load for Paul George because you needed him to get Kawhi, you're really giving up that like you're giving up half of that for each person. Yeah. It's the same thing. Although, having watched Paul George in the playoffs last year, you'd wonder if he was worth half of that haul. Oh, yeah. Um, he was weird. So, before we get out of here, what are we forecasting as the Nets' result this season? I think the Nets are going to lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. That was going to be my call as well. Who to? Milwaukee. Ooh, fun. Milwaukee or... Uh, I 
Um, I was sold on Philly to start the year, and now they're starting to edge back towards being what they looked like for a lot of the last couple of years, and that worries me a little bit. Really? Are they? Yeah. Okay. Simmons had in that game against Miami where they won in overtime, bearing in mind Miami's entire starting five set out, Simmons had five points and fouled out. Oh, yeah. Um, well, oh. like he's been pretty good all season, and people have been like, I think it's been a bit unfair. Like a lot of the criticism has come out, and people have been like, oh, Simmons isn't scoring, and Daryl Murray loves scoring, so he's going to trade him for James Harden. It's like, well, yeah, he's the guy who's not naturally a score first player, and you've given him some actual shooting now. Of course, he's going to score less and facilitate more scoring for other guys. Yeah. Um, you've actually just made his life easier, yeah. and he's actually flourishing. Yeah. Um, and if you thought that surrounding Ben Simmons with shooters was going to make him pass less, you don't know what you're talking yeah. about. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, my theory behind Milwaukee, very quickly, my theory behind Milwaukee beating Brooklyn is I think Drew Middleton and Giannis is at least defensively about as well as you can hope to match Brooklyn's three offensive guys one-on-one. Oh, yeah. on one. And also, Brooke Lopez can hit threes from the corner, and DeAndre Jordan is just going to stand under the basket with his arms up. Yeah. Um, and also, and, who and defends it, any of those guys on the other end? Well, yeah, there is that. And DiVincenzo, I think, for all the money Joe Harris has made, I don't look at that matchup and be like, well, Joe Harris is a clear upgrade over DiVincenzo. No. So I think Milwaukee will do it, and they also have Bobby Portis, who will be willing to fight people if it comes to it. He's terrible, but like no, he's awful. But he he's a tough guy, and Tory Craig is a tough guy. And for everything Brooklyn do have, I don't think they have any tough personalities to handle any adversity. Which is look what that led to the Clippers happening last year. Yeah, and look what happened to Miami. Just a load of tough guys who weren't actually and <laughs> didn't have any real business being in the finals. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think I would put money on Milwaukee over Brooklyn right now, but we will see. I would also like to see the Philly matchup because I think Embiid would like he used to. I don't know if he still does. He used to do the thing where if he really bullied somebody, he used to like post about it on Instagram and like tag them and do all that stupid stuff. Can yeah, he'd like tag the location and funny yeah. play. That was always the highlight. And like a set, he'd just have a seven game series where he'd be tagging DeAndre Jordan on Instagram every other day. <laughs> like, hey, got you again. Yeah, know. no, that'd be great. Um, but yeah, I would put Brooklyn as maybe not on paper the third best team in the East. I think on paper they're possibly above that, but I don't think they're a good matchup for either of the other teams that I would put in the top no. three so yeah this has been very brooklyn heavy but i think that is going to be nba coverage from now on yeah and probably i really really don't want to see a brooklyn and lakers finals because Kyrie and lebron are the two most micro analyzed people who never actually really do anything that significant but everything they do is like i don't know the fascination in Kyrie is beyond me. The fascination yeah. in LeBron, I understand, but he still says a lot of boring stuff that gets poured over a lot. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't really have any of the problem with any of the mad stuff that Kyrie is doing, apart from the breaking of the COVID protocols. Like I need yeah. to say this before we finish. Like none of that stuff's okay. But like I'm more like, hey, why do we care about Kyrie being spiritual? Yeah. Like I have my problems with, some of the weird stuff he said, but like most of the time, I'm just like, it's more annoying that everyone cares so much. Like, yeah, uh, well, it's annoying that everyone cares so much, but it's also the fact that, like, there isn't an NBA player alive who wouldn't be able to tell you, hey, people will jump on this stuff, just keep it to yourselves, and they'll probably leave you alone. And somehow, Kyrie's like the one guy who's just not got that message. He just can't get out of his own way. He, yeah. Everything he does is a thing and he hasn't figured out how to not let that be the case but yeah we've digressed here to sum up brooklyn have got maybe better also maybe not better and might still let the thunder score 129 points 
Yeah, they have maybe gotten better, but unless they win a championship, it's not worth it. And I don't know if they've gotten that much closer. So very excited to find out, though. This has made it all way more fun. But yeah, it definitely has. And just as a final note, our example of a perfectly watchable NBA game is happening tonight because it is Indiana and Portland at 3 a.m. Which I care about Portland so much less than I thought I would this year because they're not <laughs> being as exciting as I wanted them to be. Although, you not having Twitter, you might have missed this. Um, someone tweeted Damian Lillard. <laughs> they were like, thoughts on um, CJ McCollum, McCollum balling the F out this year. And he was like, ah, no surprises here. Like, I'm not surprised, <laughs> which is so cool. That's working. McCollum's been nuts, and he's probably... Now that Harden's gone, I think Beal's the next guy to get traded, and then people will talk about McCollum getting traded. I heard somewhere about a, a McCollum for Aaron Gordon trade on a podcast somewhere, and that would just be awful. Like McCollum's playing the best he's ever played, and Aaron Gordon still sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Never mind. No. Uh, anyway, on that, on that note, we'll get out of here. It's good to kind of be back. Yes, it is. We'll call this back. Don't call it a comeback, but we'll say we're we're kind of wicked. Kind of here. See you for another recording in six months' time. All right, it's been nice. I'll see you in six months. Peace out. Have a good one.